Thank you, Bucky. Amen. Thank you, Graham. Thank you, everybody. It's quite nice walking up, getting a round of applause and everything else. I feel very, very loved, very good. It was over that. I, I, was, I was thinking it might be nice as well to yeah, the, the funky giving music. If I had like the funky music when I was walking up to, maybe next time, maybe next time, that's fine. But um, but yeah, no, it's enough of my side thoughts and distractions. Um, let's um, look at Daniel chapter four, and, uh, and that's where we're going to be focused today. So. Um, if you can, yeah, open up your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 4, that's where we're going to be um, yeah, getting our, our learning from and hearing from today. So, um, D- Daniel um, has been fun so far, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think last, last time out um, was uh, Graham and he was breaking down chapter 3 and we're seeing bold people, bold examples from uh, scripture of people that are willing to put everything on the line for their faith in a really uh, you know, difficult con- cultural context. And um, I mean, I think that can only be a light and encouragement for us uh, at this time. Um, I think at the, be- at the beginning of our look at Daniel, you mentioned that it's kind of um, set up in an interesting structural way in terms of the first few chapters being a mirror of one another and we come to the the first mirror chapter if you will in chapter four in that it's a mirror of chapter two so if you can cast your minds back and think a few weeks ago um, chapter two was based on the king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon having um, an odd dream and seeking for somebody to interpret it and then our hero Daniel comes along and interprets it and it leads to praise to God and Daniel chapter 4 is very much the same um, and so but and we're going to see that same theme of understanding greater um, who God is through this interpretation of a dream by Daniel um, and that 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 understanding of God's character and his nature in the book of Daniel tends to focus very specifically on God being sovereign we, I mean, uh, and by that, that means God holding everything in his hands, you know, from the, 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 the smallest, most seemingly insignificant thing to um, the movement of civilizations and powers and everything is held within his hand. And, that, and that's the message that comes through uh, Daniel and we will definitely see in today's chapter. Um, and so it's... It's, it's quite a lot for us. Uh, we, 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 uh, in this church, basically, we, we, we pride ourselves on going through the scripture verse by verse. There are a lot of verses today, okay? So I'm not going to read the whole chapter because you guys will fall asleep before I even start talking. So I'll just do, I, we're going to break it down to little chunks and we're going to try and squeeze out whatever nuggets that we can um, that the Holy Spirit leads us to as we go through it. So I'm going to read the first th- uh, three verses of Daniel chapter 4. And um, uh, so listen up, yeah? So, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. And um, yeah, it sounds quite royal, doesn't it? Those first few verses. What an introduction to the chapter. And what strikes me is just the kind of about turn that these first few verses coming from the mouth of Nebuchadnezzar are compared to the first few verses in which we learn about Nebuchadnezzar at the start of this book. 
reading, I'll just read it quickly for you. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. Um, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. And the reason why I you know, thought it'd be helpful for us to kind of flip back is because we start the book of Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar really wanting to make as public a display as possible in mocking the God of Israel. Um, and by taking those articles from the temple in Daniel chapter 1, he's, been, he's saying, you know, um, who's the God of Israel? My gods are greater. I'm greater, basically. I've just walked into his temple and taken everything out. Nothing's happened. And yet, three chapters later, we're seeing the exact opposite in terms of he's wanting to make a, a very, very public display to all the nations of the earth about how great the God of Israel is. And I think, for me, this was just an encouragement in that um, God can turn even the most unlikely scenario or unlikely person into a spokesperson for him. Um, and we see this again and again and again in scripture, you know, from Moses, the, the stammering murderer, to um, uh, David, you know, you know, similarly, another murderer, uh, an adulterer, um, Jacob, the liar, Paul, the Christian I focus a lot on murderers. Yeah, Paul, Paul was also a Christian murderer. But basically, God can turn people um, that seemingly have no chance or no hope into megaphones for him that we're talking about thousands and thousands of years afterwards. Um, and I just want that to be an encouragement to you. Uh, I mean, probably no murderers in this room. Um, but there are people that <laughs> perhaps maybe have, I don't know, don't answer that question. Um, but there are people that maybe have <laughs> reasons to maybe think, that, oh, maybe I'm not the person to talk about God. I can't talk uh, to people about Jesus for this reason or that reason. Um, I mean, the, but I just want you to recognize that actually the, the effect of the gospel and the effect of you know, what we learn through scripture makes the impossible possible. You know, uh, I think here in these verses, you know, um, Nebuchadnezzar is talking about how, you know, speaking about um, God and telling these nations about the miraculous things that God has done brings him pleasure. Um, and how often is it that when we think about telling people about Jesus that it makes us feel pleasure? And I want, I want to challenge you um, that it should be a pleasurable thing. It should be a thing that brings joy. I mean, often when I think about like telling somebody about Jesus, it's something that maybe, you know, makes our palms sweat a little bit and our knees knock together and you know, fumble our words. We might just think, oh, you know what, actually, maybe just not today. Um, but here we see King Nebuchadnezzar broadcasting it to everybody. He wants everyone to know it. it's, his, it's his pleasure. And really, when we think about it as Christians, you know, Nebuchadnezzar really only has a, a very narrow understanding, a small understanding of what God is about. As Christians, we have the full picture. We've got the whole story from beginning to end that Jesus has come to give us hope and redeem us and give us a future. That's, we, we should have every reason to have even more pleasure than Nebuchadnezzar. And so I want to encourage you, and encourage myself as well, to be honest, to be more vocal and to have that pleasure that Nebuchadnezzar has, and then some, in telling people about Christ. Um, and it is just remarkable the, the effect that you know 
understanding God and, and, and understanding who he is can have. You, know, you, th- you think about Nebuchadnezzar, he's, he's made a career about of kind of running roughshod over nation, over nation. He doesn't respect or think anything of anybody, really. Um, and, but here he is talking about see, seeing that how wonderful God is, is something that everybody is worthy of hearing. He sees the, the person that has elevated himself above everybody and um, once he recognizes and understands who God is, he sees everybody as equal and everybody is as willing, as, as worthy of knowing how wonderful God is. Um, that's the effect that um, the gospel can have. That's the effect that we should want to share as Christians, not just keep to ourselves. So as I say, I just want to encourage you to, on that today. Um, we'll, we'll move on to verses 4 to 18. Um, so... I'll I'll just read them aloud. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream, interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from under its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But if you can, sorry, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And yeah, I... I find it interesting that Nebuchadnezzar takes the time to give us insight into his mindset at the time um, of him having this dream. And he's contented and prosperous. Um, just, which is a really nice thing to be able to say about yourself, isn't it? To be able to say, I'm contented and prosperous. Um, and he's minding his own business. And then all of a sudden, boom, out of nowhere, um, God comes along with this dream and everything is upset basically he's no longer contented and prosperous he cannot sleep and you know 
our whole world is designed around the pursuit of being contented and prosperous. Um, you know, watch television, turn on, you know, look at your phone for 10 seconds. Somebody's trying to sell you something to make you feel contented and prosperous. Um, but I think what we fail to realize is that when everything is seemingly perfect, um, that is often when we're most vulnerable. Um, that's when, you know, particularly as Christians, um, that we're, and, and anyone to be honest, that we're, we're least likely to recognize our need for God when we feel contented and prosperous. Um, and I, I, th I think, um, you know, Graham and Eddie were speaking earlier about um, kind of a heaviness that on the nation and that many of us feel in terms of our mood or mental health and I hope it's an encouragement to you today because I, I feel that very often you know, our clearest revelation and our clearest understanding of who God is comes at times when we are not contented and prosperous and actually it's easier to see God and who he truly is often at times when we don't feel contented and prosperous and when we are experiencing difficult times or suffering that's when we get to actually see who God really is um, and we see this again and again in scripture you know namely the book of Job um, but I'm sure if I went around the room many of you could give personal testimonies of how that is true for you and how actually the times when you've perhaps maybe seen God at his clearest have been at the times where perhaps maybe people might have felt most sorry for you um, and I think that I hope that that's an encouragement to you if you're going through a difficult time at the moment um, look to look to God <laughs> um, and he is there you'll be able to and we just pray that you will be able to see clearly what it is that he wants to say and what it is that he's doing through your less content and less prosperous moments. Nebuchadnezzar, however, fails to do this. He fails to look to God. That's not his first port of call. Um, as I mentioned at the start, two chapters earlier, he has a dream and it's interpreted by Daniel. Um, and he follows a similar pattern in terms of that he asks everybody in the land and then comes to Daniel. Daniel interprets it. And to me, I find this strange, you know, if, if, um, if my car is broken and I drive around town from garage to garage and no mechanic can fix it and then I go to finally find a mechanic that can fix it, um, the next time out, I'm not going to go round town from garage to garage to garage to garage. I'm just going to go to the garage that can fix it. Um, I can think about times where I've taken my car to garages. Um, I, mean, was a, I, I probably shouldn't say it, <laughs> to be fair. I went to a garage and um, the, uh, the, the guy at the garage, well, he was trying to fix something and he broke like um, uh, something on the car. Um, and then he... Uh, he did tell me that he'd broken it, but then he said that I had to pay for what he broke. So I, I've, I've raised that example because I didn't go to that mechanic again, basically. And so you think that from experience, you kind of learn, but Nebuchadnezzar doesn't do that. He um, goes, follows the same pattern. And as I said to me, that seems really odd. Um, and the question to me is why? 
would he do that? Why, why wouldn't he just go, oh, yeah, Daniel interprets dreams, straight to Daniel, let's get things sorted. Um, and to me, the only reason is that he is happy to acknowledge the existence of Daniel's God. You know, in chapter three, where, where um, Graham finished up last time we were in Daniel, um, he talks about God as the most high God after you know, um, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are delivered from the fire. Um, so he, it's not that he doesn't know that God is there, uh, the God of Israel, um, but he is only happy to accept him as one amongst many gods, um, and certainly not as a God that is greater than, um, than him. And I just want to push on that fact because often when we're talking about it seems like thousands and thousands of years ago but actually we as humans can very uh, 3,000, 4,000 years later can often do the same thing in that you know, we are happy to you know, be here at church on a Sunday and accept that God is there but only to look at him as one amongst many solutions rather than recognizing him as the solution to our problems um, you know um, how, how easy is it sometimes to turn around and say, you know, read, read our verse of the day uh, or whatever it might be. Um, but then when it comes to our, our you know, tricky or you know, risky financial situation, we'll, we'll, make, we'll make a risky decision rather than turn to God and think, oh, actually, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? Or uh, we've spoken a lot about you know, pain and difficult times. How easy is it to be here today um, but then at the end of the service, leave exactly the same and go and, I don't know, have a drink or whatever else it might be, rather than look to God for the, God, what is it that you want me to do in this situation? God, I'm really struggling here. Help. Um, how easy is it to look at God, as I said, just as one amongst many solutions rather than the answer? Um, if we fail to recognize that God is the answer, uh, and instead look to him as an answer, it doesn't work. Um, there, is, there is no success following that model of life. Um, we shouldn't follow Nebuchadnezzar's example, and I pray that as a church, God will open our eyes to be able to see that the, the dilemmas that we face and the difficult periods that we face, um, uh, it's, it's him that we need um, and, and him alone. Um, and we'll be a lot better off for living our lives um, with that knowledge and in that way. Reading a bit further on, verses 19 to 26. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries, the tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches, I'm sorry, uh, for the birds, your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. 
This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. And Daniel and his friends, um, you know, throughout this book, I said at the beginning, are an example to us. Um, the first few verses that, that I read in that passage there um, highlight a concern from Daniel that we wouldn't expect to see there. You know, Daniel has every reason to hate Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar has destroyed his homeland and dragged him from it forcibly. He, he has ingrained you know, Babylonian customs and cultures in him, like we read in chapter 1, um, that uh, made Daniel do things that, you know, as a Jewish man, would have been repulsive to him. Um, a dream that indicates that the demise of Nebuchadnezzar should be a reason for Daniel to be over the moon. For quite frankly, he should be celebrating, you would think. Um, but we see in these verses that Daniel actually does the exact opposite. Um, and in this way, that they're more than just an example for us, that they're, they're almost a type of Jesus in that way, in that they are able to show affection and concern even for somebody that has persecuted them and treated them so wrongly. And um, we call ourselves Christians, essentially meaning that we're Christ-like. So I want you to ask yourself, do you model this behavior and this value, this fundamental tenet of our faith um, in your life? Um, and do, do you model this in your workplace? You know, Nebuchadnezzar was Daniel's boss. How, how, how do you talk about your boss? Um, I won't ask you to repeat the words out loud, but I, I might be right in guessing for some of you that perhaps you could do better. Um, the easiest thing to, you know, at, at work or you know, socially as well is to go with the flow and um, you know, moan about those that are above us and those that are in charge and you know, whether it's the line manager or the government, uh, they, they don't know what they're doing. Um, we're called as Christians to do better and to, to rise above that. Um, not to agree with everything um, that the people above us do, um, but to show love and to serve with passion, um, whatever our walk in life. Colossians 3, uh, verse 23, the verse that is a lot of that helps me a lot. It says this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. And I think if we can even live 90% of this verse, um, it will make a tremendous difference in our workplaces and in society. Um, be like Daniel. And be like Christ in your workplace and in those that you're around. Acknowledgement of God, which is what we're saying that we, we do as Christians, should bring pleasure. Um, where everyone's feeling down in the dumps and pretty negative about work, um, we should 
model something different. We should be light. We should bring joy. Um, I know it's hard. You know, tomorrow's Monday. It's always hard to be joy and light on a Monday morning, but give it a try. Daniel uh, 4, 27 to 30 says this. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my might and power and for the glory of my majesty? And I think that the lesson in these couple of verses for us is that you know, Daniel doesn't just you know, give Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation of his dream and walk off. Um, you know, the, the purpose of Daniel being able to interpret his dream wasn't just so that Nebuchadnezzar could have a good night's sleep again. Um, he sees that the point of interpreting the dream is so that Nebuchadnezzar can come to know who the true God is. Um, and he, to give him the opportunity to change his ways, to live his life differently and know that he, um, who the true God is. As Christians, um, we don't serve or do good things um, just to be nice. It, it is important to be nice and to be good, but that isn't the core of why we do good things. And it's really important that we don't lose sight or focus on the reason why we serve others. And quite simply, that is to bring people to a knowledge of God. People only come to a knowledge of who God is if they deal with their sin. And we can't shy away from confronting people, no matter who they are, with the fact that they need to repent of their sins and to come to know God. It doesn't matter how you know, many grannies we help cross the road. Um, the, the value from an eternal perspective is only if we are speaking to those grannies about Jesus. Um, I, I, it sounds a bit tongue-in-flippant when I say that. And, and don't get me wrong, it is important to help grannies cross the road or whatever good deeds that you do. Um, but let's make sure that when we're doing so, we're dealing with sin at the same time. Um, that's, that, that has to be at the heart of our message. Otherwise, we're, we're not any, there's nothing unique about our message. There's nothing important. There's no reason for people to come to church if it's just about doing good things. There are lots of people that do good things much better than you or I do. Um, but thankfully, our message should be more than that. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, like most people, after hearing God's word, says, thanks for that, Daniel and goes about his daily business. Um, he forgets about the most high God and chooses instead to reflect on how amazing he is. And you know, this again might sound familiar. And I just wanna say, let, let's not hear what God has to say and simply discard it. I'm not saying that just because I'm still at the front this week. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm saying it because there is immense value in his word um, and what I say today I hope is still in your mind when you leave here later on today I hope it's still in your mind when you leave uh, when you're at home tomorrow and later on in the week as well because if we don't apply what we read in scripture or what we hear then 
a little bit like helping grannies cross the road without telling them about Jesus is it doesn't hold value or weight. Um, and you know, apathy and not acting on what God has to say is a poison. Um, and it always ends badly. Uh, and we see in the following verses that Nebuchadnezzar pays the price. Um, verse 31. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claw of a bird, like the claws of a bird, sorry. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And in these final verses, we, we, we come to the heart of the matter. And what I hope we see is that the, 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 the foolishness in, in vanity and you know, a fact hidden in scripture that is more, more solid than you know, the, the ground that I'm standing on, which is that God is in control. You know, as I mentioned at the outset, life is so, so fragile everything we have is balanced so delicately you know no matter how special you are no matter how well things are going in an instant god can take it all away um, on the flip side no matter how awful things are going no matter how low or depressed how many things you have lost god can give it all back and Understanding this, understanding that our destiny is in his hands, every beat of our heart, every breath that we take, understanding that each of those things is a gift, is a gift from the true king, the true creator of all things. Um, that, that is the only way to gain a proper perspective of life. Anything outside of that will fall short. Um, Look at Nebuchadnezzar here. He, he is one of the most accomplished military minds of his time. He was unstoppable, basically. And here he is eating grass. You know, how, how can that be except for God? Even when he raises his eyes to heaven and his sanity is restored, you know, I don't think that he sat there in his ox mind you know, 
mooing away or whatever oxes do and thinking, if only I can look to heaven. I, th- I think that even this is a grace from God. God has orchestrated every moment here in terms of when he will restore, have his sanity restored. Um, his, his kingdom is restored after seven times. And, you know, it's, it's not obvious exactly what seven times is, but most commentators think this is seven years. Um, and, you know, if you look through biblical history at this time, you know, a world of empire and bloodshed and war, what are the chances, you know, that his advisors are actively looking for the man that turned into an ox to be put back on the throne, you know? It, you know if, if Boris Johnson ran into, you know, Bantock Park started eating grass for seven years, is it very likely, you know, that you know, his cabinet would come look for, looking for him in 2028 and put, it's not gonna happen, is it? Except for God. So you see that all, all of these things, all of these graces, uh, come about not not by chance or by luck or by the throw of a throw of a dice. You know, oh, gosh, Nebuchadnezzar, how lucky was he? You know, seven years later, eating grass, and all his mates were still there, and they put him on the throne. No, this happens through God, a God that is in control. Um, look again at verse thirty-five. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? So God does what he pleases and compared to him, we are nothing. That's a really easy thing to read or, and for me to, to say, um, much harder to actually live out or, or actually on reflection to actually square with and think, oh, that's all right. Everywhere we turn, the narrative is exactly the exact opposite. You know, God, God God is irrelevant and we are everything. And actually, you know, God doesn't do what, have the right to do what he pleases. I, I have the right to do what I please on my own person. And you know, if I wanna you know, do this, then I should be able to do this. That's the message that we get sent all the time. You know, when every advert, every aftershave or perfume <laughs> advert is about who you can be, be who you can be, do what makes you happy. Um, just follow your heart. Um, and if we do those things that will make us contented and prosperous but Nebuchadnezzar's life shows us the exact opposite his prosperity was not restored until he understood that he was nothing and God was everything until he realized that the only being or thing that was unquestionable was God just stop and think for a moment what would happen if every one of us did exactly what pleased us all of the time. Um, if we did the every, whatever thought popped into your head, you were able to do without repercussion or without consequence because it made you happy. What would the world look like? Um, I know just from my mind, it would look awful, <laughs> okay? Um, so thank God that isn't the case, um, that he is in control, that he gives us the, the grace of not being able to just do what we want all of the time or what makes us seemingly happy all the time. I mean, how many times do I think of something and think, oh, that's going to make me really happy and I do it and I think, 
oh, that was terrible. I'd, you know, I might, I might you know, say, oh, I'll have a quick McDonald's, I'll eat it, and I think, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And um, that's a really minimal example. There's better ones, <laughs> really. Um, but sometimes we don't actually know what's going to make us happy. Um, as Christians, we can rest assured in that we, we serve a God who um, is actually orchestrated all of the events from the beginning of time until now um, to bring us into his um, fold, into his family, to be able to experience an eternal joy to his glory. Um, I trust him more than I trust me to know what makes me happy. And I think following him rather than following whatever you know, impulsive thought comes into my head is more likely to lead me to be happy. Um, like I, Nebuchadnezzar says at the end of this chapter, um, and he ends this chapter saying that he praises God because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. Um, I mean, be, be, being honest, this, this, this can be really hard to do. You know, when, when we read some books of the Bible, you know, particularly in the Old Testament, surrounding God's judgment and his wrath, if we're being honest, you know, is our immediate emotion praise? Um, when we pray and pray from the bottom of our hearts for something and it seemingly doesn't come to pass do we glorify him I think being honest you know, even for the most hardy of Christians the answer to those questions is not always yes there are some things that happen in life that we won't be able to appreciate the goodness of God in if we're being honest you know, this side um, of eternity. Um, but we thank God because he reveals himself, enough about himself in scripture and in the person of Jesus Christ for us to know that everything, as I said earlier, is working according to his will in order to demonstrate his goodness and bring about his glory. And that should be an immense comfort for us. Every one of us needs to humble ourselves before God. If you don't know him, the opportunity is there today to repent of his sins and come to know a God who is fully in control. Like Nebuchadnezzar, I pray that you realize that God being in control isn't something to, be, to fight against or to be afraid of, but something to celebrate and draw comfort from. I'll just pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word today. We thank you um, because we serve a God who is in control. As I've said, Lord God, Holy Spirit, help us to draw comfort from that. Help us to speak boldly so that others can draw comfort from that. Help us to speak with pleasure about all the many, many good things that a sovereign, powerful Father has done for us. Amen. Thank you.